Good morning. I paid her to say all those nice things. <laughs> She's sweet. Um, <clears throat> please excuse me if at some point in time I need to sit down. If nobody has noticed or if nobody's told you yet, I swallowed a watermelon eight months ago. <laughs> and we're, we're expecting our, 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 late, our newest addition in about a month. So sometimes I get a little winded. Please excuse me. I'm not trying to be rude or, or anything. And if I disappear, let me know. Did I, did I disappear for anybody? Okay, good. All right, can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm not going to keep you standing long because I don't want to stand long. <laughs> Psalm 51, 17, if you have it in your U version or uh, hard Bible, I don't know what, what you got. Okay, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Let's pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy, God. I thank you for your good mercy. Lord, I pray that you help me to speak, not with enticing words of man's wisdom, God, but from your Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your power and your love. Soften our hearts today. Open our minds to hear from your word and your precious and holy name, I pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to sit. And I may stand in a minute, but I'm going to sit down as much as I can, too. Some people are, like, really spontaneous, and you can throw curveballs at them all day long, and, and, and they're good with it. They're going to roll with the punches. And other people really need roadmaps. And so I, I don't want to throw curveballs at people who need roadmaps. So um, if you look on the screen, I'm going to kind of give you an idea of what we're doing here today, because otherwise you're going to think I'm just bouncing all over the Bible, and you're going to go, where did she go? So... What we're going to do is I'm going to go I'm going to go through two different stories. We're going to talk about uh, King Saul and then we're going to jump over to 2 Samuel and talk about King David. So I have two stories I want to tell you and um, I'm not going to read them to you cuz they're very long. Um, but and then I want to ask the question, what do these two stories Is it up there? Can we get that slide? What do these two stories tell me? about God. When we're reading the Bible, that's kind of our question is, what does this say about God? And then what does that say about my relationship with him? So that's what we're doing. That's where we're headed. When you see me bouncing back and forth, that's, the, that's what we're going to do is, is compare the two stories and say, what, what does that say about my relationship with him? And what does that say about the God that I serve? So first, I want to tell you about 1 Samuel chapter 13. Is King Saul. Excuse me, I've been a, had a little bit of a cold from the kids lately. Um, all right, so both of these stories are a king, a battle, and a prophet. King Saul is preparing for battle against the Philistines, and um, he's really outnumbered. It says in 1 Samuel 13, 5, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30 thousand chariots. Get that in your mind. See that picture. 
and uh, let's see, 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand. Now, if we read into that, Saul only had about 2,000 with him and an extra 1,000, so maybe 3,000 people with his son. So he's only got 2,000 to 30,000 chariots. Can you get that mental picture? It's like us going against the whole U.S. Army or something. It did no. So his, his people start to get really scared. The Israelites start to get really nervous about this, and it says that they are hiding. The, the Israelites are thinking they're going to destroy our army, then they're going to come in here, and they're going to destroy us. They're going to they're take us as slaves. They're going to kill us off. This is scary. So they start hiding. They're hiding in trenches. Anybody else here want, would think to hide if, you know, America's getting attacked by something like that? It's, it's huge. So they start hiding. Um. So in the battles back then, there would be the king, and then there would be a prophet that would go as well. And the prophet would first inquire of God what they should do. In this story, it's the prophet Samuel, and the prophet Samuel tells King Saul, hang out there where you are, you and your 2,000 soldiers. I will come in seven days, and I will tell you what to do. So Saul goes. He's waiting with his 2,000 men. I want to explain. These 2,000 men aren't 2,000 wimps. These are 2,000 soldiers. They're warriors. They fight. They're used to this, and they are still very scared. All right? So he says, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come. So Saul's up there. He's waiting with his men his warriors, and they're getting really scared and starting to get nervous because Samuel's not there yet. They don't know what to do. They're kind of waiting around. We're getting ready to have this battle, but Samuel um, has not shown up yet to offer sacrifices and tell us what to do. So they're getting scared, and they're starting to dwindle, and they're starting, you know what? Uh, I think I left the stove on back at home. I've got to go. Saul's getting really nervous, He's kind of like, he's seeing his dwindling army. Samuel's running late. He hasn't texted him, told him why. And, and, and he's, he's getting really nervous. So he makes a really hasty decision. He goes ahead. He, does, he says, you know what? I can do this. I'll do this myself. And he, he offers a burnt sacrifice to God. And right as he does, Samuel shows up. Now, I needed to kind of wrap my own head around this, my you know, modern day mind around why this was sin and why this was wrong. Because in today's society, we can kind of go, okay, so he took over. Samuel was late. What's the big deal? There are two major mistakes here that Samuel made. First of all, kings were not supposed to make sacrifices on the behalf of other people, of the, of the community. That was not his job, not his, his position, okay? And we're, we live in a society that kind of says, yeah, anybody can do anything, but that's not what God created. He, he gave certain people certain jobs, certain roles. This is what you do, and this is what you do. Nathan, the prophet, that was what God had said. You can go do that. You are, you are created. You, your purpose, your life's reason to be here is, is to make these sacrifices. The kings weren't supposed to be doing that. So he disobeyed God and just kind of put on the priestly robe 
and the king's crown and said, I'm the king, so whatever God just said, whatever God just ordained, I'm going to go over that because I'm nervous, okay? So he lost faith, and he disobeyed God's order. And then the second one that really sticks out to me, second uh, problem, was Samuel... As the prophet Samuel, how, how this was supposed to go in the Hebrew uh, nations was God said who to fight, who to take to a fight, where to fight, and how to fight. That's, that was what you were supposed to do is ask God for his direction. Okay? That's important. What Saul did was ask God for his favor and his blessing on his own plans. See, do you see the difference? Hebrew, Hebrew nations were to ask God for direction. Pagan nations asked their gods for their favor. Just give me your favor. Do you see your own life? I see my own life. There are so many times when I will ask God to bless whatever I have decided to do. <laughs> and that's not how it's supposed to be done. As a child of God, you're supposed to stop. God, what should I do? Give me direction. Because then if it's God's direction, his favor will be on it. That's how you get stories in the Bible like Gideon. Who comes up with, no human would come up with an idea of, let's break a bunch of bowls or break a bunch of lamps and shout, and that will win the battle. Anybody come up with that idea? No, only God. But when they followed God's plan, it always worked. When you follow God's plan, it will work. You will be victorious, but only when you follow his plan. Now, <laughs> Mike um, and I did tell him I was going to tell this story. I don't. Tr I try not to surprise him, but Mike taught me a lot when uh, I try not to surprise him when I go to talk. But when we were first married, he taught me a lot about um, prayer. And uh, <laughs> I'm a get up and goer kind of person. Like I get up, and my mind starts going, and I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got this, this, and this, and this to do. We first got married, and. Uh, we'd have our first day off together and I I'd be like okay let's go I'm I'm getting ready you know for the day we're gonna go grocery shopping we're gonna go do this and we're gonna go do that and he would tell me he'd say we're not gonna go anywhere until we've talked to God and until we've prayed and I'd be like okay <laughs> it was just grocery shopping and frisbee golf I don't know what there is to pray about but okay <laughs> I did I was very like I don't I don't okay go ahead honey go ahead pray but he, he taught me the importance of that, the importance of practicing prayer on the small daily routine things so that when the big battles, the critical points like Saul was in comes, when the heavy stuff comes, that's the first thing you go to. That's the first thing. You, you go straight to, I need your direction, God. I don't need your favor. I need your direction. Because if the direction, if you give me the direction, I know I'll have his favor. So Saul's hasty, faithless decision to go ahead with the sacrifice was, was wrong because it was faithless. He didn't trust in God. And, 
And he was asking for God's favor, which dwindled this sacrifice to nothing more than just a ritual that looked a whole lot more pagan than it did Hebrew godliness. It wasn't a relational interaction. It was just, it was just a, a religious act. All right, I don't want to get too hung up on there because that's not the point of our, our sermon, our lesson this morning. So Samuel shows up right as he's finishing. And he comes in and he says, what have you done? Now, I want to, to uh, I want to kind of put my own spin on this. I don't believe he walked in. And according to the context, it doesn't seem like Samuel walked in and said, hey, man, what are you doing? Nope. Any, anybody in here, dads? And you ever, have you ever heard a dad voice? I'm sometimes really jealous of Mike's dad voice. Like, I feel like I've barked at the kids all day long. I'm barking. No, stop that. Don't do that. Why are you touching that? Don't put that in your mouth. Oh, that one I use a lot. And Mike comes in, right, as they're doing something, and he doesn't say, hey, hey, what are you doing? Nope, nope. He has this booming, amazing, the birds stop singing suck the air out of the whole room type of booming voice that says, what are you doing? Everybody freezes. I think that was Samuel. You know, Samuel had that righteous anger in him. He saw that King Saul has done something against God, and he was angry. And he didn't say, hey, uh, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? And 1 Samuel 13, 11, I want you to see Saul's response because that's what we're really going to focus on today is the two different responses. He says, when I saw the troops were deserting me and you didn't come and the Philistines were gathering and the... And I thought the Philistines will now descend on me, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. He didn't say direction. Favor. So I forced myself to offer burnt offering. Does anybody else hear a whiny four-year-old? Let's... Let's look at that again. He starts self-justifying and pointing fingers at everybody else. I saw the troops. They were deserting me. They're going to they're gonna come down on me. I'm going to die. And I saw, I just forced myself. You didn't come. I forced myself. I, <laughs> my circumstance made me do it. I was so stressed out. Does that work with you and your kids? Or have you, do you remember trying that with your parents? Whining? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? Don't do that. But you don't understand. Does it work with your kids? It doesn't with mine, and it didn't with my mama. And it doesn't with God. God doesn't want us to self-justify, point blame, and say, yeah, I, I didn't mean to do it. I was just so stressed out, and life has me down, and the devil made me do it. 
and it didn't work with Samuel. Samuel being righteous, and God, you got to understand, Samuel was God's mouthpiece. Samuel, God is speaking to Saul through Samuel. Sometimes God uses people to speak to us. We shouldn't just set it aside. Sometimes God is using that person to speak to us. And sometimes it's harsh, but it's truth. Samuel says, you, not, oh, I'm sorry, I was late. I understand you had a hard day. You have been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. Not everybody else, you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. Meaning his children, his children's children, and his children's children's children would have sat on the throne of Israel. He was going to establish, he was going to bless his family. He was going to bless his heritage. He was going to bless him. But now, because you were faithless and disobedient, now you have lost that blessing. The Lord has found another man loyal to him, and we're going to meet him in a minute. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. And that makes me question, what have I lost? What blessing did I lose? Because I was disobedient. What did God say? You know what, Naomi? I had a plan for you. I had this idea for your family and your blessing, but you were disobedient, you were faithless, you didn't trust me, and so I'm taking it away. That's a scary thought, and I don't want to lose any more. Give me a second, I'm going to get a drink right quick. I want to go on to the second story to not linger on either one too too long. So now we're in 2 Samuel, chapter 11. This is now the new king that God has removed Saul and his family, and now he has established his loyal servant, King David. But just because he's a loyal servant and he's a godly man doesn't mean he is a perfect man. And he did make a mistake. So this is King David. And the passage opens up saying it was the season when kings would go to war. I want to stop right there, and (laughs) we have to kind of remind ourselves, it doesn't matter how godly you are, how many times you walk in the church doors, how many times you serve. It doesn't matter if you are a small group leader or a children's church worker. It doesn't matter what you do for God you are still going to have times of war. They are unavoidable. Unavoidable. You can't Christian this thing enough to no longer have trouble. You can't read your Bible enough to no longer have problems come your way. They're going to happen. Times of war are unavoidable. So King David, it says, sent his army into battle. But it had just said the time before, just the verse before, that it was a time when kings would go to war. Kings were supposed to go to war. 
with their army. But he tarried at home in Jerusalem where he was comfortable, where he was relaxed. And I want to paint this kind of scene for you. He's, it says that he took a nap in the middle of the day. His, his army's off at battle. He takes a nap. He gets up, and he takes a walk along his roof. Now, it's not like our roof where, you know, you're uh, slanted and you're trying to be careful. He wasn't doing that. He was taking like a patio type of roof. So he's walking along this patio, and I could just imagine like birds are singing and the breeze is blowing, and it's such, such a peaceful day but it wasn't supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't supposed to be taking it easy, taking a walk and relaxing in the middle of the day. He was supposed to be working. He was supposed to be fighting. We can sometimes want to sit back and relax, but it's not the time to sit back and relax. When we're, I am passionate about this, when we have our children going out to these schools and they are fighting demons of suicide, they are fighting demons, this is the time to get up and start praying over our children. This is the time to get up and fight when we've got the whole world and society twisting God's word, twisting what it says. It's not the time to sit back, just turn on the TV and see what the TV says about God's word. It's the time to get up, work, read it for yourself, get into the word of God, start getting in your prayer closet. Now is the time to work when we've got anxiety, depression, running rampant in our children running rampant in our families. We've got destruction everywhere. Now is the time to fight. Now is the time to go to war, saints of God. Not the time to take a walk along your patio and say, well, I've had a good time. I don't want to get hung up there either because that could be a whole sermon. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> they gave me lots to drink. <laughs> so he's walking along where he's not supposed to be. He's taking it easy when he should be working, and that's when temptation really can grab a hold of us, as when we're not where we're supposed to be. And he sees, he's on his roof. Remember, he's up high in the palace. And they didn't have running water, so it wasn't like there was any kind of indoor water. He looks down and he sees a woman bathing. Obviously, she's bathing outside. There's no indoor plumbing. He sees her. And she's pretty. And that would have been a real good time to go back into the house and maybe pray. <laughs> And we would have had a different story, but he doesn't. Instead, he looks down, and he sees her, and, and wow, she's pretty. So he, um, he inquires of her. He says, who's that? They say, well, that's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Why is that important? Well, first of all, he, they said wife. She's taken. And secondly, Uriah the Hittite was not a nameless soldier. He knew him. 
He was one of his heroes. More than likely, he fought with him before King David was ever King David, and he was just David. He knew who Uriah the Hittite was. He had a relationship with her husband. He knew him. And he still says, bring her to me. There is no evidence in the Bible that he had planned on taking her as his wife. He, it doesn't show that that was his plan. But that's how sin usually goes. It takes us further than we wanted to go. And we pay way more than we wanted to pay. James 1.15, and this one's a tough one. It explains sin as like birthing a stillborn child. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Picture that for a second. You think this is going to be exciting. This is going to be fun. This is going to bring me joy and happiness, just like a baby coming into this world. This is exciting. This is wonderful. But when it, when it has fully grown and then when it finally bursts, it's not joy It was only momentary pleasure. It's not happiness. It's death. And it's devastation. And David definitely learns that. He had not planned on bringing death. He had only planned on enjoying himself that evening. But death is what sin, when it is complete, brings death, separation, and, and it's awful. So he brings her, he sleeps with her, sends her on home. No one will know. Anyone who does know, they won't say because the servants aren't going to talk about what David just did. She's not going to tell. Uriah's not going to know because he's, he's out fighting. <sighs> Problem is, a few months later, Bathsheba realizes she's pregnant. And Uriah is not an idiot. He's going to come home to his pregnant wife, and he's not been there. And what Bathsheba's really scared about as well, I'm sure, is because back then she could have been stoned. She could have been killed for having King David's baby. So she sends a message to King David. I'm pregnant. It's yours. What are we going to do? So he comes up with a plan, and he says, bring Uriah to me. So he brings Uriah home from the battle in the middle of these wars, and uh, he says, give me an update. How are things going? Uriah tells him. He says, you know what? You've done a really good job. You get a day off. If you're following along in the Bible, I am paraphrasing, obviously. (laughs) But he, he says, you get a day off. He basically, he says he sends him home with meat. Basically, he pays for a nice candlelight dinner. And he is hoping that Uriah is going to go home, sleep with his wife, and have no idea that that baby is not his. Problem solved. Except that Uriah has integrity. And Uriah will not go home and just relax and take it easy when there's a fight going on. He says, if my soldiers are sleeping in the trenches, I will sleep on the ground. And he sleeps on the ground outside of the palace. So it's told of David the next morning. It didn't work. Uriah Uriah didn't go home. 
So he says, brings Uriah again. Come back. Let's have another. Let's enjoy this day, Uriah. You have worked hard. You get another day off. Take another night off. This time he gets him drunk. He says, have dinner with me. And he starts getting him drunk. He gets him drunk, sends him home. Why don't you go home, relax, have a good time with your wife because you've, you've been a good soldier. But Uriah has more integrity drunk than David had sober. He goes not home, but back to the ground, sleeps and camps out there at the palace and says, I will not do this thing. I will not relax when it's time to fight. They tell David, again, even drunk, he's not going home. So he has to come up with a much deeper, darker, more sinful plan. He knows he can trust Uriah. So he sends him with a sealed letter of his own fate. He sends it to go to Joab. Who is Joab? Now you're throwing people left and right. Joab is basically head of the entire army, and he kind of maneuvers everything. He, He gets to move everything, all the little chess pieces. He moves them. So he sends a note by Uriah's hand to Joab that says, put Joab in the very front of the fiercest fighting and then withdraw from him. And we've all seen the war movies. (laughs) We know what happens when you stick somebody in the very front and then everybody else pulls back. He's not going to make it. No matter how big and strong and muscular he is, that's not a real true Superman. He will die, and he did. Joab, it doesn't say whether or not he questioned it. It doesn't say he thought, well, this is nuts. But if he did, it didn't matter because he just went ahead and he did it. Uriah carries his own own murder note. And then he goes to battle and fights for David. And then he, he dies an honorable death in war. Word gets back to Bathsheba. And she did love her husband and she mourns. When her time of mourning is up, David sends for her, marries her, and boy, doesn't he look like the hero. Uriah's dove will be taken care of. His widow will be cared for in the palace because King David has taken her. And nobody's going to know that the baby she carries was conceived in sin and in darkness. There's a problem. God knows. God knows all the time. He sees all the time. And I've heard people say, God knows my heart. That's a scary thing to me sometimes because I know what I think. And, oh, boy, so does God. So he sends a prophet, just like we had the prophet Samuel where God used him as his mouth He sends a prophet, Nathan. God says, because he's not going to leave you in your sinful mess. That's, that's the upside. He doesn't leave you there. He sends, he sends Nathan, the prophet, and uh, through a whole other sermon we could have gone through, Nathan gives a very, uh, very well-spoken parable and explains to David, hey, God saw what you did, and God knows what you did. Here's where our stories really 
take a turn. Do you remember how Saul responded? Saul responded with, you, my circumstance, self-justifying, blaming others. It wasn't my fault response to God. 2 Samuel 12, 13, response to Nathan. Nathan says, God saw your sin, and he says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately he owns it. He mourns it. Nathan says, the Lord also has put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. And that's how he responds to us. That's the good news. Remember I said that we're not going to focus so much on the sins as now I want to really focus on what this tells me about God and our relationship to him. See, David, David's response was how God wants us to respond when we, he convicts us of our sins. He wants us to say, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David was saying, I see this. I feel this. I know my heart knows that I have sinned and I have not only hurt did he hurt Bathsheba, he hurt Uriah and all those soldiers. He not only hurt all them, God, he was most concerned with, I have hurt the heart of my God. I love God, and my sin has hurt him. I want to read some of Psalm 51. It's kind of skipping around because it's a very long psalm, but this is David's heart. He writes a very beautiful song expressing his emotion and his thought during this time when he realizes what I've done to my God. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. His, his repentance prayer is even focused on God, not himself. And to the tender According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In what I think and in my heart and when nobody else sees, that's where you require integrity, God, and that's where I was not. Nobody else knew in my heart, you knew I was wrong, and that's what you desire. But wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Only God can do that. Only God can wash us to we're totally white with snow, even on the inside. Create in me a clean heart and renew, which means he had it before, renew, bring it back to me, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh God. Don't send me away because of this. Don't, don't make it separate me from you because you are who I need. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Do you hear how precious the Holy Spirit is to David? That he says, I need, I need you with me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. There is joy in repentance. So what do these two stories say about God? 
What do these two stories show about God and our relationship? First of all, I want to show that he is merciful. This is not a beat down. I know it sounds, it, trust me, talking about integrity is not easy. But it's not a, a beat you down kind of lesson. This is, this is exciting, and I want to show you why. Because he is merciful. Whether it's disobedience at the, at the sacrifice altar or if it's murder, he does not care so much about the sin as he does about restoring the relationship. He is merciful. So whether you've, you, are, you just have a problem with gossiping or you were a murderer, he can, there is mercy for you. There is forgiveness no matter what. God cares more about about your response to the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart than he does about your past. He's merciful. Secondly, it shows that God desires humility because our pride separates us from him. Now, see, God is, he is not this like egotistical maniac that just doesn't want anybody to feel good about themselves. That's not why he hates pride. He hates pride because it separates you from himself. Think about it. If you know anybody that's really prideful, have you ever seen how they are with other people? And then there's like friendships start to back up. You're like, yeah, yeah all he thinks about is himself or all she thinks about is herself. God doesn't want that. He wants closeness. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. That's why humility is so important to him. God doesn't want to hurt your pride. He wants to kill it before it destroys you, before it destroys your relationship with you, with him. He wants to kill it because it is what comes before a fall. But humility, humility is when he can lift you up. He can raise you up and call you his friend and humility. You cannot enter God's presence in worship and thanksgiving with, your, your, with pride hardening your heart. Saul couldn't enter worship. He was in sacrifice and he wasn't actually able to worship God with this prideful heart. Burke Parsons, the editor of Table Talk magazine, says self-promotion was one of Satan's first temptations, and men have been falling for his trap ever since. It's a trap. Society's full with it right now. Self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. God says, do no man esteem themselves more highly than they ought. That'll twist society upside down. He says, no, lay aside your pride. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he can lift you up. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the King David's with a humble heart, not the King Saul's. I'm jumping around on her back there, and I'm sorry, but I'm, uh, I'm going to go to God just wants our humble and contrite heart. He wants us to fall before him 
Come before his presence with a humble heart. Ian Blacklock says, God alone knows how to humble us without humiliating us. He's not trying to tear you down. He's not trying to humiliate you and make you feel like you're nothing. David did not feel like nothing after God could restore the relationship. He felt like a friend of God. He alone can exalt us without flattering us. He does exalt us, lifts you up. Matthew 23, 12, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches and humility. Humility comes before honor. God honors us when we humble ourselves. He can't do that if we're hardened and our ears are stopped up with pride. He can't do that. And I know this is kind of short, but I want everybody to go ahead and stand. And I'm going to conclude. I want to ask you, how do you handle conviction? How do you handle it when God uses somebody else, sometimes a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a spouse, a loved one? How do you handle it when God uses somebody like a Nathan to say, you and I, we're not okay right now, and we got to get there? Do you get angry? Leave the church? Leave your faith? Well, they shouldn't have this or that or the other. Or do you humble yourself and say, God, you're right. And I want to get it right. This is not a condemning lesson. This is a lesson that says God wants to be your friend. He wants that for all of us. He wants to be your friend, and sin and pride separates. So he wants to move that out of the way. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. That's why he killed his own son. He let his own son die so that I would not be separated. <laughs>